0: Welcome to Bitverse Byte, a weekly podcast about the web industry, tools and techniques upcoming and in use today. I'm Adam Listeck, a web developer from Northern California and Central Illinois. If you'd like to help support the show, please tap the link in this episode's description if you're using the Anchor application, or visit anchor.fm slash bit v byte to become a monthly supporter. So first up, I want to talk about some news. So there was some uh, news around the company Ring, and they are a competitor to the Nest Door Cam, uh, among other security company camera-type industries. And the main issue is that there was some news that various employees and contractors of Ring may may have had some fairly unfettered access to a lot of the videos that were recorded. Notably that a research group in Ukraine uh, seemed to have full access to an Amazon S3 folder that had pretty much all of the videos that get recorded at any time. And that at some point in uh, the various management levels on the United States side may have had access to you know what has been something similar to Uber's God mode dashboard, but something where they could put in just about any you know username or email and have access to real time feeds from that uh, customer. So obviously that that seems not the greatest approach there, uh, especially in that none of this was apparent to you know the the people buying the product. And it really does make you wonder what kind of controls, what kind of policies and procedures are in place. Apparently not many. Uh, this isn't the first time that Ring has come up for something similar, but it is a, definitely a, a bigger issue and concern than has been in the past, as this is pretty serious. It seems like, at the very least, a very large breach of trust between people buying a product and the company itself. So I haven't heard what their response has been, other than you know we're you know we've got new policies and procedures in place, which is almost always the kind of response that these companies have. But really, what should we be expecting, what should be held, what standards these companies should be held to? And it certainly seems much higher than that. The alphabet uh, board uh, that over you know Google's part of that, uh, they have a shareholder uh, lawsuit. Against them for the rather large payouts that have occurred to uh, the you know Andy Rubin who is the Android creator among others in there, and the the issue stems from the fact that they were uh, let go uh, for various reasons, but notably for some sort of abuse of their power, uh, be it with employees that uh, they should not have been uh, fraternizing with, and so along with those abuse allegations, they were let go, but they also left with pretty large payouts, which seemed that if you're going to be let go for such a kind of grievous issue as uh, some sort of abuse allegation, then perhaps you should not go with all of the money you would have been normally promised uh, had you left on good terms. So obviously the shareholders would like that money back, And they also feel as that it should not have occurred in the first place. It will be interesting to see where this goes, but I would tend to agree that if you are under such allegations or have been found guilty of such abuses, you should not be allowed to receive the same payout or benefits that you may have under better circumstances. And big news for GitHub, uh, they have allowed. All kind of users of the platform to get free private repositories, up to, I think, three collaborators. And this is huge news. Uh, up to this point, GitHub you know was free for folks doing public repositories, which many took advantage of, myself included. But all of the private repositories, if you want, say, personal development projects or things that had stuff in there that should not be public, then you would look to other platforms or purchase the uh, you know a premium license with them but I believe this is a, a pretty much a, a big intention to gain some better free uh, goodwill with the community that Microsoft bought the product and so they really want to gain the trust of the developer community and this is certainly a a pretty nice uh, uh, benefit that no one really saw coming so kudos to them uh, certainly buying some good Excellent, good free, you know, goodwill with everyone, and I look forward to see where they go with this, especially with the addition of GitHub Actions, which is a way to do kind of pipeline-based uh, workflows against your repositories. Uh, I do this in a couple different other products. Uh, Azure DevOps is one. Um, another one is Buddy, which I personally use. Well, I'll use both of those really, uh, but. It'll be kind of interesting to see what they do with it and where it goes from there. And in EU news, uh, there is a a great article uh, by Julia Rida, and she kind of summarized what's been happening with Article 13. So if you don't know what Article 13 is, essentially it is a, uh, a copyright link um, law that will be going in where. Essentially, if a company uh, has user-generated content or a large amount of links on there, they will be responsible for any copyright infringement that that content or those links are uh, shown to have. In the past, uh, if it was a company that you know had a bunch of user-generated content, they weren't found liable if those links were infringing because it wasn't their content, it was content uploaded to them. This kind of flips that where now all of that content will be found as potentially infringing. Well, this is a huge deal because it requires companies to essentially have very strict content filters in place. Otherwise, uh, there's a high possibility that content will make it through That would be found infringing, then they would be liable. So they will definitely err on the side of caution, and they will most certainly not get that right, as you can see with YouTube Content ID and other things that are not often not right. And plus, with the ability to, or the lack of ability to contest those, especially with human intervention, because companies at scale doing that much work you know don't really have the ability to offer a human to overlook all of that all the time so it will be very interesting to see if this passes but it sounds like it will uh, there was some concessions made to small businesses that are in startups that just cannot afford to put these kind of filters in at the scale needed but it remains to be seen well what defines a small business or significant amount of revenue you know, is it significant to that company? Is it significant against other companies? It's really hard to say. So there is a lot of questions. Not everything has been approved, but a good portion of it has, and the things that are in there are what we expected to kind of be there and kind of worst case scenarios. So this will be a uh, this will be a challenge uh, if this goes in. I mean, granted, it still affects the EU more than anything, but Those kind of changes will certainly filter down to around the rest of the world. And so for us in the United States, it will definitely affect the platforms as YouTube will have a difficult time, I think, applying those types of filters to only one region. Because if the content uploaded from someone in the United States is viewable by someone in the EU, then, and that content's infringing, does that then mean that that individual? has now caused YouTube to become infringing in the eyes of the EU. So if that's the case, then everyone would be subject to this. So we'll just it will remain to be seen, especially if there's any lawsuits um, put up against it, which I would be surprised if there weren't. And so we'll just see where this goes, but it's getting closer, and if this all continues along the path, then I believe in March, this should actually go to become law will just remain to be seen at this point. A couple links and resources. Uh, I've linked these in the description, but uh, there is a great, uh, you know, the site CSS Tricks has been around for ages. Uh, They do an amazing job, but they had their staff 2018 favorites, pretty much all just CodePen uh, links, but since their founder is involved with CodePen as well, it makes sense. Uh, A lot of really cool uh, experiments or code snippets in there, so check it out. Uh, There was a good uh, post on Icon Scout Scout, about 16 classic color scheme generators. Uh, Just a bunch of, I've talked about a number of these actually over time, but some color generators to help you find a palette for your site or a project or whatever you're doing. I love many of them in there, and they all kind of have different uses and needs, but check it out. And finally, uh, there is a good article on CSS material about top five popular free material design frameworks. And so material design is, of course, what Google started off of their design framework. And there's a number of good ones out there that replicate what they were doing in CSS or in other frameworks. And it really it gives a sense of um, standardization to that. Of course, there are many other design frameworks out there, so don't feel like Google's the only one, but it's a good solid starting point, I think. Uh, The only real complaint against material in general is that things tend to look the same, but there is some room for, um, you know, different differentiation within that, and so you really have to kind of look at what you can do and see if it's as just a good starting point to kind of see where you can go from there. And finally, I wanted to talk about kind of the responsibilities of companies and data. And this kind of dovetails from the prior article or news that I was talking about that, uh, about Ring and what its approach to data use and data um, abuse, I guess, in that sense. And I wanted to kind of touch uh, a little bit on, you know, my personal feelings on what companies have a responsibility to their customers and what they should be thinking about. And a lot of this just is common sense, in my opinion. And a lot of it comes around the ethics of, well, what do you, what are you doing that may obviously be wrong or you should really warrant a second look? And some of that is obvious, like perhaps if you are a company that is In the video uh, content world, especially if any of that video can be construed as very private or potentially private, then you would think that there should be many controls around who should be able to watch it and what circumstances. And if there are some people that need to be able to see it, then it should be pretty clearly spelled out when those cases are, what permission is given, and if that is then done it should be well documented i think a lot of this is really just well has a company developed the framework and in the world of a startup trying to very quickly iterate on that it can be difficult but i think that it builds a lot of goodwill really has a lot of upfront honesty and and upfront uh, kind of sense of frameworks to put there so that you don't get yourself in the situation willingly or unwillingly, uh, where you really have that breach of trust. And I think that starting out early on, even if you don't anticipate or, you know, expect a lot of demand, just thinking those kinds of things over is, is very valuable. Not only will it inform kind of what you want to do as a company and where you want to go, but also what are your kind of ethics and what are your limits to what data you should collect and how you use it now there are certainly gray areas with this and it can be difficult because you know you need to be able to track users for example you need to know what people are doing to improve your product to have a sense of when things do and don't you know don't work and how to improve upon those things so how do you track people to be able to get that sense but without being too, you know, invasive without being able to be like this specific person and I know who they are and what account is doing X, Y, and Z, and I can see that. Well, maybe making the data anonymous to kind of get an aggregate data set. And also to be able to, you know, make sure you're not identifying individuals specifically, like, you know, being anonymous. Now you may not be able to track a specific case and I would see that more being in an error Uh, tracking situation or error debugging situation, but in general with uh, marking, you just don't need to know that. Of course, everyone wants more data to be like, oh, this is exactly what folks are doing, but you really have to weigh that against the benefits of being able to maintain that sense of privacy and that that sense of balance. So I really see that a lot of this I feel like is common sense, that people Should not be seeing things they shouldn't be or doing things with data that they obviously should not be. They should be making sure to treat customer data very carefully, especially in an organization where you may have multiple people being able to read and act upon that information. And there should be very clear guidelines given not only to employees within the company, but also the kind of contract between the company and its customers. And I feel like that should be laid out very early on, so when you sign up or you have questions about it, it's right there. And that if, you know, there is a case where they need to be able to view something or do something, that they get explicit permission for a set period of time with a set data set where the customer allows that and agrees to that. And if they don't, well, then maybe they can't fix the problem or they can't do more because they don't have access. But that is put back then on the customer. And in all honesty, it's for the safety of both the company and the customer so that unauthorized data does not get read and or disseminated without you know, proper approvals. So in my mind, it's all pretty common sense, but as can clearly be seen, that is not often the case. You know, hopefully with the GDPR and other efforts, even if cumbersome, they are moving, to, moving us in the right direction as to how we should think about this, how we should treat uh, sensitive data and data in general. But it will be interesting to see how this evolves along, you know, around, you know further down the line, especially with how the EU does it and will, how that may affect stuff in other countries. So anyways, follow this podcast on Twitter at bitvbyte and Facebook at slash bitvbyte. Thank you for listening and please join us next week.